0: Wow, what a great opportunity. What a great day to worship. Um, I, I enjoy our Sunday evening uh, time together, honestly. Uh, thanks for a nice uh, weekend, but uh, something about Easter, I want to jump up on Sunday morning and uh, celebrate. He is risen. And so it's uh, it's, hard, it's hard to contain throughout the day. Uh, it is good to be together um, we're going to pray here in a second, and then we'll dismiss the kids to Children's Church. Um, as we pray, we call this the pastoral prayer. We pray for things in the life of the church, things that are going on. If you ever have things that you would like us to pray for, please. Uh, we certainly, we, Brian, Ryan and I pray throughout the week. The elders pray, but uh, Sunday's an opportunity to pray. Uh, many of you know uh, Michael, Matt, Michael, and Suzanne, um, one of our new elders, uh, one of our brothers and sisters that we love. Uh, Michael's dad has been battling cancer for some five years or so and uh, he passed away this morning and so uh, in many ways a relief uh, and a gift on a resurrection day uh, he passed away and he will be resurrected again with a new body so I don't know if Michael if you're listening to us we love you brother we're praying for you Um, we love your family um, but pray for Michael and his sister, his mom, and Suzanne as well. So let's pray together as we come before the Lord. Jesus, thank you for um, just this gift to be together. Um, we're not here just uh, making, uh, making noise and uh, playing instruments, but we're here because there's a reality that you, uh, you came and you lived in our place and you died. And though uh, all the forces were against you, Uh, You rose again in three days, victorious, that we might have life, that we might have hope. God, we might have hope in the midst of sorrow. We rejoice as we worship, but we weep with Michael and Suzanne and his sister and his mom, and, and yet we rejoice knowing where his dad will be, that he belonged to you, that he named and claimed Jesus, and that you have claimed him. We pray for their family, would you give peace, would you give comfort, would you give a sense of um, joy on this resurrection day that they will see him again in full glory when we stand before the Lord. May we all know the resurrection hope. As we hear these words, be with us, attuned to our hearts, give us ears to hear, Um, give us hearts to receive your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Children, you may be dismissed this time to Children's Church. This is ages 3 to 7. Go to Children's Church. Miss Alyssa in the back. What a year, huh? Uh, I was reflecting this morning, this service, this Easter Sunday last year, uh, I got all dressed up and fancy just so I would feel like it was Easter sitting before a screen uh, in my wife's office at our house, very awkwardly uh, trying to be as enthusiastic as I possibly could. And yet we're here, right? What a year. We're here together. Would you stand as we read from 1 Corinthians 15. This is the sort of locus classicus here, the resurrection, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians, Paul, um, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us about the the life. This is about the resurrection of Jesus, but it's about our resurrection in Jesus. So um, here are these words. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it's not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether, the, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe this is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Why, why are you a Christian? Um, why are you a Christian? Some of you uh, aren't asking that question today. You've been a Christian for a long time, or been around the church and you're like, this is what we do. Uh, maybe you, some of you are asking that question. What, what are we doing here? What? <laughs> get all dressed up, we get fancy, we wear, uh, you never see me with a tie, but I got a tie on, Uh, we wear pastels, Uh, we put flowers on an instrument of uh, execution, a cross, Uh, what's this whole thing about, right? Maybe you're not asking it, but I I assure you, your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids are going to ask, why be a Christian? Why be a Christian? It's not very convenient to be a Christian. Uh, these days, Christians are getting in trouble all over the place for things they say, for things we do um, we 're very uh, outdated we're very uh, our views are very intolerant. Why be a Christian? Um, if you were in Iran, uh, it would not be very convenient today to be a Christian. Uh, I had a former neighbor who was from Syria he was a, a physician in Syria and uh, had a couple of, a wife and a couple of kids and after um, seeing a couple of people in his practice uh, be persecuted for being Christians. One of them lost their lives. Uh, they fled to this country to seek asylum. They had to start over in the medical process or most of the way after being a doctor in uh, Syria for many years. Why be a Christian? It was two years ago, to Easter Sunday, do you remember? In Sri Lanka, a little country, uh, some 360 Christians were killed uh, when a a radical Islamic group bombed churches and hotels. 360 killed. Uh, people were in the church worshiping. Bombs went off. Men, women, and children. Um, 500 more were injured. Um, if you uh, if you're from the Middle East and you look at America and you associate America with Christianity, why, why in the world would you want to be a Christian, right? I mean, they they see the stuff we put on TV. They see the The proliferation of pornography, they see, you know, what's it, Cardi B on the center stage and uh, everybody watching the songs and the filth, Uh, they say, gosh, most of the world, traditional, religious or not, says, why in the world would we want to be like those American Christian people, right? Why be a Christian? Or or the church itself, let's be honest, Uh, I mean, pastors don't have a great track record, right? We got scandals. Uh, There's uh, Robbie Zacharias, the sexual abuse, um, embezzlement, money issues, uh, the judgment of Christians upon so many others, um, story after story, uh, article after article, why be a Christian? Or maybe it's more personal. You know, you say, you know, my, my mom and dad were the most religious people I know. They were always in church. They were always telling me the, the rules, uh, and yet they were so harsh. You know, there was no love, there was no affection. It was self-righteous. It was angry. Uh, why would I want to be a Christian? Why be a Christian? Um, the deck is stacked against us here. Uh, why be a Christian? The short answer we're going to develop here uh, is because it's true. Um, Despite how we feel, uh, despite the record, despite the history, all of which we have to sort of overcome as obstacles to believing, both emotionally as well as intellectually. uh, Why be a Christian? It's because the story of resurrection is true. It's true. And so we have to contend with it. What do I mean by it's true? We're going to talk about two things today, two two ways it's true. The first is obvious. It's true historically. Historically. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and they are a mess, right? I mean, there's uh, lawsuits within the church against each other. There's incest in the church. Uh, there's a pick your favorite apostle in the church, favoritism. Um, they've got so many problems that we should feel we should feel right at home, right? This is a good. Corinthians are our kind of people, right? They're a mess like us. Uh, one of their mess is that theologically they're a mess. Now remember, Corinth uh, is, uh, they're Gentiles. And we've read that, uh, that Christ was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. The Jews had some sense from the Old Testament, Psalm 16, uh, Isaiah 53, there was some semblance of an idea of a resurrection. But to a Gentile, uh, the resurrection is preposterous, right? I mean, first of all, no one dies and then gets back up and comes alive. Everyone knows that. But secondly, they were, they were Gnostic. Uh, Gnosticism was the thing, which means the, the body is bad. It's dualistic. The body is bad. The spirit is good. You want to get away from the body, right? Why in the world would anyone want an eternal body? This thing is terrible. We want our spirit to be free from the body, And Paul comes to Corinth and he's preaching about resurrection. Even among the pantheon of gods, they're not crazy enough to preach dead people rise and enter a body which no one wants. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, Remember Paul in Acts 17? Paul is in Athens, a great city, uh, Greek uh, world, and he's in uh, the Areopagus. This is the who's who. It's a it's, uh, it's, the, it's where the philosophers and the would go. Uh, it's where the commerce would take place. And Paul starts preaching uh, about the unknown God. He sees all these gods, these idols, and he says, let me tell you about it. And Paul has their ear, and the people are coming. All the, the people today are coming to listen to this man preach and speak, and they're following along with him until what? At the very end, he, he's kind of covert, but at the very end, he starts mentioning the resurrection of the dead. And it says, and they mocked him. They kicked him off the stage. Um, <laughs> nobody, uh, nobody talks like this. Paul's preaching um, uh, the resurrection. It's not because it's popular. It's not because it's convenient. It's not because it's entertaining. Uh, it's because it's true. It happened. Paul is not arguing opinion. He says in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. For Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to the apostles. He's a good lawyer here, right? He's got witnesses. Last of all, as one too untimely born, he appeared to me. See, Paul has preached the gospel in Corinth before. And he's writing this. He's not telling them something new. He's calling to remind them of something they know the gospel. Now let's remind ourselves, what is the gospel? Gospel means what? Gospel means good news, good news right? Good news. You, you got it, right? Been to church. Um, but all good news is not created equal, right? I mean, um, if, Duane, if if Dwayne's behind me in the coffee line and he says, hey, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll buy your coffee, you know, that's that's good news, right? I mean, that's two seventy-five. I just save right there. You know, my coffee budget's a little over a little, right now. Appreciate that. Or you know, the Jags play Tuesday night. I'm a Jags fan. I hope they win. If they win, I'll say that's good news, man. The Jags, the Jags won here. Um, but that's not on the same level of good news as the gospel message of good news. Um, you know, if a child is lost and there's a missing child and there's signs all over, and then we find the child, right? That's good news, right? We're celebrating. When uh, World War II ended in Europe and news came back to America, it was good news. Like the streets, they threw parties, right? The band and flags and parades because it was good news. But this news is, uh, as my 11-year-old says, epic. Epic news. This is news related. He says, to the salvation of man, for which you are being saved. The resurrection is not, here's a resurrection story, this good news, so that you will get better. This is not a resurrection story so that your life will improve in some key areas. This is resurrection good news that you were lost... You were in bondage, and you have been rescued. We sent a mission out, and we went after, and he found us, and he rescued us. And that's good news, and we rejoice, and so we sing, right? It's good news. It's that kind of news. It says, it is, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it says, for I deliver to you of first importance, not, um, you know, information about what you need to do. Or about the laws you've got to obey. Here's the information I want to tell you. I want to remind you of it. You need to give money to the church, right? That's not what he said. <laughs> you need to pay homage to this Jesus. It's what I received. We just received it. The gospel, first and foremost, is received. We didn't do anything for it. We just received it. It just came upon us. It's passive. God just poured out, or as Paul says in Ephesians, lavished His grace upon us, and we just kind of laid there, and it fell over us and covered us in grace. He received it. Good news of what Jesus has done. Which means if you have a hard week, or a hard month, or a hard year, like we've all had, nothing about our lives changes the news. It's still good news. It's still true. It's about our salvation. It's not dependent upon the circumstances of our life and so it's historic it's objective it's outside of us god has done it what has he done he's died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures he was buried he was raised in the third day in accordance with the scriptures don't you love that accordance with the scriptures death burial resurrection There are a lot of things as Christians that we need to affirm. There's a lot of theology, a lot of things we learn, we develop, we grow, we we cite the Apostles' Creed, and there's line upon line of things that we believe are historical. But here he says something of first importance. Easter is of first importance. That doesn't mean chronologically first, but it means preeminent or supreme. This information... What we celebrate today is central to our life, to faith. It's the thing that changes us. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you remember him? He was the uh, uh, atheist. Uh, he was actually a very unhappy atheist. He would often rant and rail against God for not existing. And then his good friend, J.R. Tolkien, you know, the Lord, uh, the Lord of the Rings, he. Uh, he, he told, uh, told Lewis, uh, reminded Lewis that uh, you love story so much uh, because every story is mimicking the true story, death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And Lewis wrestled with the historical reality of death and burial and resurrection. And then he realized he's right. Every story, every narrative, every bedtime story, there's a, there's a death There's a conflict that leads to some sort of resurrection, resolution. It's all a mimic, a mini-play on the true story. And the historic reality for Lewis brought him to faith in Christ. Death, burial, resurrection. Now, everyone believes in the first two, right? Death and burial. So, uh, secular historians, Jewish historians, atheists. uh, There was a man named Jesus... Uh, he caused trouble, he said a lot of bold things, uh, he, he was an insurrectionist, he stirred up the Jews, uh, the, 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 the Jewish leaders didn't like him, and they appealed to the Romans, and the Jews and the Gentiles got together and they killed him. That's pretty much a greed, death, burial, right? Um, we're all, in fact, if you don't believe that, and, and you're a materialist or you're a secularist, then you've got a problem because you believe in something supernatural, so you've you got to deny that. So you've got to believe the first two, so that's not the problem. Problems. This third one, the resurrection. This is of first importance. If this is true, if a man was killed, was in the ground in a tomb, verifiable, we knew he was there. it was locked up. The, the, the doctors came in. There was no pulse, right? Uh, and then three days later, he's risen, and people see him. Lots of people see him. This changes everything. No one claims Muhammad uh, rose. No one's claimed the Buddha, right, or religious. No one says Gandhi, great teacher, and they're just waiting for him to get up out of the grave. They don't do that. Jesus rose from the dead. Tim Keller says this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching. Whether or not he rose from the dead, this is the question is it true? Historically true. Verse 5 to verse 8 is like the footnotes. You know, if you do a reading academic book, you know, you got footnotes, and the, the more the higher academic you go, the more footnotes you get. They become like this you know, there's like two lines, and it's all footnotes because they're citing what? They're sources. They're verifying it. They can't just make claims. They got to say, here's the information behind it. Here's the documentation, see so and so, see so and so, see so and so. See this study, see so. There's footnotes, Document. That's what Paul's doing from verse 5 to 8. You believe this? He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. He they appeared to the 12 Uh, He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. Go go talk to them. You can find these people. Go go interview them. This is not not behind closed doors. This is not hush-hush. Go talk to them. Then he appeared to James. James, if you read in John 7, didn't believe, right? Now James is a believer. He says then, last of all, as once untimely born, he appeared also to me. He appeared to me. Paul. Paul says, check out the sources. Many are still alive. Verifiable. Uh, Professor Thomas Arnold was one, was an author of a famous three-volume history of Rome. He was appointed to the modern chair of history at Oxford. He says this, writing back in the 19th century, he said this, the evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often have been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge, summing up a most important case. I have myself done this many times, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. This is from a man who wrote a historic three volumes on Rome at Oxford. There's no greater evidence We're a Christian, despite the brokenness of the world that we see out there, that we see in our own churches and hearts, because it's true, Christ raised from the dead. But, it can't just be true historically. It becomes uh, personal. The gospel's not just abstract dogma or doctrine. It becomes real. It's also, second thing, last thing, it's true personally and I don't mean true personally like what's true for you is good for you is true for me is true for me I mean it's true historically but then it invades us and we have an encounter we have an engagement with the personal God it's objective reality we don't make it true Jesus lived died raised but then we come to know it in a personal real way we have an engagement with Jesus History is imperative. If it isn't true historically, who cares, right? Let's go outside and let's go boating. Let's go play golf this afternoon. Why are we here? <laughs> who cares? So it's got to be true historically, but history doesn't often change, doesn't always change people's mind, right? Um, and maybe a few people old enough to remember uh, we landed on the moon. You've heard of this? U- U.S. astronauts to the moon? You know, one giant step, right? Like, you're on the moon. They're like photos, audio, right, pictures. Um, Do you know people, some people don't think we landed on the moon. We got the history. We got the documentation. Jill's back there. She doesn't believe. We got documentation, right? We'll show you evidence later. And we got, and like, no, 9-11, right? Like, I, I don't know where you were. I saw planes crashing, awful, people running in, people running out, death. Right, uh, all the stuff, hole in the ground, and there are people that don't believe it happened. Like, no, it didn't happen. Like, it's historically verifiable. We we know it happened. Jesus was with crowds, healed a man, he couldn't see, now I can see. People said, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going for that, wouldn't believe. The history, the dad was there, they didn't believe, right? Didn't believe. The gospel's power is from the true. Historical Jesus invades life in a personal way. So it's objective. We don't make it true by believing, but it's also subjective, right? The Spirit comes to live with us, and then Jesus becomes alive. The resurrected Christ now lives in us. The gospel's never impersonal. It's never just institutional. It's alive. He says in verse 8, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also... To me, Uh, Paul wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He he wasn't with Jesus. He wasn't with the 12. He wasn't with Matthew. He wasn't with Peter. He wasn't walking around hearing the stories and seeing the signs. He was untimely born. He was out of order. He missed it. And not only that, that he was a a persecutor of the church. He was was, uh, attacking Christians. He had missed the great moment to walk with Jesus. And yet... What happens? What changed for Paul, the persecutor? He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, didn't he? The road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, I'll read a few verses. Saul, before his name was changed. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, So if he found any belonging to the way, that's Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he went to the high priest, give me orders to go to Damascus that I might find Christians, that I might arrest them and bring them back. That's what he's doing. This is what Paul's doing. Saul at the time. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus and he said who are you Lord and he said I am Jesus whom you are persecuting but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do says later in verse 9 and for three days he was without sight neither ate nor drank Paul wasn't persecuting Christians he was persecuting Jesus and Jesus meets him directly knocks him on the ground blinds him it's a personal encounter Now, some of you are like, hang on, Pastor. (laughs) To have a follower of Jesus, you know, I got to be blind for three days. Is this the prerequisite, you know? I got to be knocked down by some great light. Aren't we Presbyterian here, you know? What's it mean? Um, Is some kind of dramatic experience necessary? No, it's not. It's not. In fact, I, I hope our children in this church have the most, quote-unquote, boring testimonies of any, right? We always pray that, that they they grow up, but there's never a day where they don't know the Lord. Like, we pray that, right? You don't have to do math for 20 years and then, you know, be a prostitute and then come to Christ and, like, let's celebrate your testimony, right? We hope you grow up and you're nurtured. Praise God for those stories, but you grow up and you're nurtured in the church, and you, right, we hope that's true, but regardless if it's dramatic or if it's, quote-unquote, ordinary, it's always personal, because verse 3, Christ died for sins. He died for our sins. He died for our sins. When you realize that on the cross, that was meant for you. The law said if you, you don't keep the law, you deserve death. Christ is on the cross dying a criminal death, penalty of the law. That should have been us. That should have been our sins. And yet Christ Is dying for you. It's not a theological abstraction. It's a substitution, the gospel for us. And you know the forgiveness of sins, it's personal. Do you know forgiveness of sins? Do you know who you were? If you're a believer before Christ, do you know your bondage? Do you know what life was like? Do do you know the way you thought about the world? Do you know what your hopes were? Do do you know being crippled by fear and anxiety? Do you know the way you used to look at women was a certain way and this is how you viewed them and then you entered this encounter with Jesus and it changed? Do, Do you know how you used to view your money? You thought it belonged to you as if you could do what you wanted, as if anything belongs to us or your vocation, thought it was your job and not a gift and a calling God's giving you. It all began with forgiveness of sins. But God forgave us personally, changed us. He's talking to Greeks. Greeks have uh, stories of, uh, of men uh, engaging in sacrifices. The Greek myths... Uh, the gods always had to be appeased. So you have stories of man sacrificing animals. Uh, uh, there's, there, there's a lack of rain. Uh, they might even sacrifice a child. to His blood might appease the gods, right? Or for fertility, they might sacrifice. They would do something. There's no story. There's no myth. There's no religion. There's no philosophy where God... Sacrifice himself for his people. Do you see that? God's called the people to make sacrifices, even extreme ones. But nowhere does God sacrifice while we sit there and take it and receive it. Who makes up that? Do you know the story? Do you know forgiveness? Do you know the cross of Christ for you? He died for our sins and we're changed Paul says in verse 10, we're getting close here, but for the grace of God, I am what I am. That changes us. Uh, John Ortberg tells the story of a man, he was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, he and his wife go to the gas station, and uh, he goes inside to pay to get some things, and he he comes back out, and his wife is having this really serious, intense conversation with the gas station attendant. They talk for a few minutes, and then she gets in the car, and he says, uh, what, what was that all about? And she says, you know, I actually know that guy. She said, in fact, we went to high school together, and in fact, we dated for, for a while. We dated together. That's a little awkward, kind of long pause. You know, he, the guy says, the CEO, the, the big wig says, well, I, I guess I, I know what you're thinking. You sure are glad that uh, you married me and not, uh, not the gas station attendant, right? She said, "No, that's actually not what I was thinking. That's actually not. I was actually thinking that I was actually thinking that if I had married that guy, he would probably be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, <laughs> and you would probably be a gas station attendant, right? It's uh, we are where we are by the grace of God. Uh, we're, we're not who we are because we've just really got it together." And we're just good people, right? We look pretty in here and nice. It's, uh, we're, we're sinners, and Christ died for our sins, and His grace covers us, and it doesn't leave us, but it changes us. It changes us. If you're a Christian here uh, today, and you're, you're growing, and you desire to, to love the Lord and follow Him, my, my word to you tonight is just to is simply continue. I just want to remind you, continue in the gospel. All the things that are going on, there's so much to grab our attention, there's so many things to know and do, and there's so many agendas, and the church is doing these things, and media is telling you we got to do these things, and there's a lot of things we need to do, but our first importance is we got to get this right, right? we got to live in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, and we've got to know Him in a deep and personal way first, first things first. If you're a casual churchgoer, maybe you're familiar with the Bible, maybe you've been baptized, but you're not, you know, you, you don't want to be those fanatical people. <laughs> those church Christian people, that get kind of weird, they might raise their hands and they get kind of excited. If that, you know, I just want to kind of stay in the middle. I just hope I put you in a bind tonight. The resurrection leaves no neutrality. Um... Belgium tried to be neutral in World War I, you know, they didn't want to get involved, and then Germany came marching through and occupied them on their way to France, and they were drawn in. There's no neutrality. You can't stay on the sidelines, right? You're in Jesus, you're in the resurrected Christ, or you're not. And so I pray you would resolve that tension. If you're a skeptic here and you, you don't know, you're asking questions, this is a lot, dead people don't normally get up, you know, uh, investigate it. I'm glad you're here. Ask questions. If you see the world and you you identify with the first part of the sermon, why be a Christian? There's all these problems, and you see there's problems. I'm here to tell you, the only solution to those problems is the resurrected Christ. Partially in this life, but fully in the life to come. It's historical, but it's personal. Arthur Crystal says this, Why do smart people believe in God? like T.S. Eliot and G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis and Pascal and St. Augustine, he concluded, because it's eminently reasonable. All the facts are on their side, but it's more than an intellectual grasp. To see the delight of those who sing his praises, to to attend a Christmas Eve worship, to see a new convert baptized is to feel left out. For the devout do not only believe in God, they experience... God. Do we experience God? Do you experience Him? The personal encounter changes us so much so that it takes a hardened man like Paul who was a hater of the Gentile dogs. Hated them. Murdered them. And now he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. The gospel didn't come with grace and say, well we got the grace and we're good now. Let's just chill. Let's just sit back. This came to us. The grace of God came. It was so radical. It so undid us it so overwhelmed us that He would die for our sins. Then <laughs> yeah Jesus, what do you want? What do you got for me? Let's work harder than the rest. Let's give our lives let's give our our time let's give our talents let's give our gifts let's give everything. It belongs to you. If the resurrection is true, if it comes in our life, what do we have that's not his? It belongs to him. By the grace of God, we are what we are. It changes us. Why are you a Christian? Despite the sin-soaked world, despite the trauma, the trials, the mixed reviews of church history, the failures of celebrity pastors, the gospel's true. Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised historically according to the scriptures. Not to remain out there in history, though true, but to engage our hearts to an inner end that we might know Him. We might take our grief and our sorrow, our shame and our guilt, we might give it to Him. He loves us. He was raised for us. He is risen. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for the good news of the gospel. It is true, verifiable. It is true for us sinners. Why would you do it? That's the mystery. But you have, and we thank you. We rejoice in the goodness of God today. We rejoice in the gospel. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've heard the gospel preached. As we hear it, we also get to taste it. We get to touch it. We get to smell it. Um, Paul Koistrow, former seminary president, uh, missions missions coordinator, missions coordinator of NTW. He uh, heard him speak one time. Some of you may have heard me say this. Um, He he found a survey of the three things that Americans want most to hear from those that love them. Have you heard this before? What Americans most want to hear from people in their life. You can probably guess the first one. They want to hear that I love you. Right, I want to know I love you. Like I matter. I want people in my life. I want to hear I love you. The second one is uh, I forgive you. There's so much hurt in our closest relationships—spouses, kids, grandparents. So much pain in the family. I I love you and I I forgive you. I know what you've done. I'm not sweeping it away, but I forgive you. Americans want to hear that. You know what the third one is? I love you. I forgive you. The third one is supper's ready. Supper's ready. We like like to eat. You can tell by my waistline after lunch today. Thank you, Leanne. Good meal. Right? I Love you. Forgive you. Let's eat together. That's really not too far off, is it? It's really close to the gospel, isn't it? In the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, he says, I love you. I came for you. I entered in. I live on your behalf. On the cross, he died for our sins that we could be forgiven. There's no charge. Who can bring a charge against God's elect, right? None, Paul says. There's no condemnation. There's forgiveness. He declares it in the cross, and the resurrection is the receipt. It's been paid for. You leave Lowe's, and they're like, where's that receipt? And you pull out the long thing. Look, I I paid for it. Jesus paid for it. It's covered. But it doesn't just end there. And he says, come and eat. Let's dine. We've got a meal for you. We've got a dinner laid out prepared for you. We feast together in fellowship with the risen Christ. Now in part, little bread, little cup, but one day in full the whole gospel. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for these elements. We set them apart. They're simple. They're common. They're ordinary. And yet you use them to remind us of your goodness and your grace. It flows to us in tangible ways, in ways that us, in our weakness, we need to know. We thank you, Jesus. Bless them now, we pray. Amen.